The Satanic Pregnancies. The idea of evil being conceived or being understood as uh, something that one can birth, uh, you have biblical language that actually describes, uh, for example, the wicked that are able to conceive evil and that they are sometimes uh, labeled as being pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. So you have that in the scripture, in the Psalm chapter 7, verse 14. From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. Spiritual advisor to President Trump, Paula White, was recently filmed in her church giving a sermon that employed idiosyncratic and fiery rhetoric. Andre Gagne is associate professor in the Theological Studies Department of Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec. His work focuses on the Christian right, charismatic dominionism, fundamentalism, religious violence, and the interpretation of the Bible. Andre, thank you for joining us on Beliefs. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Because we wanted to unpack or start by unpacking some comments that Paula White made a couple of weeks ago that kind of turned some heads. Paula White is President Trump's director for the White House Faith and Opportunity Initiative. And in discussing and in doing some, some, some healthy you know, rallying of the troops, she used a specific phrase that caught everybody's attention. Why don't we just take a listen to that real quick? So she's discussing something called the satanic pregnancies. And we've asked you to come here to try and help those of us who aren't um, au fait in this lingo to try and understand what she's talking about and what happened as a result of this declaration. So yes, uh, <laughs> this caused a lot of stir uh, on Twitter and a bit everywhere where people really thought that she was talking about abortion somehow, that people that were not Christians or did not embrace the type of Christianity that she leaves in uh, might, if they're pregnant, might be aborted because their pregnancies would be satanic. So they, a lot of people read this or understood this literally. But when you're in this uh, world, uh, there's all sorts of expressions and there's specific language sometimes that is hard to understand for people that are not part of these types of groups. And if you dig a little uh, further on the meaning of that specific uh, expression, satanic pregnancies, essentially, in a nutshell, she wasn't calling for any literal abortion, but she was actually talking about the plans that the devil or Satan would have against individuals, may these plans be aborted. May these plans go through some kind of miscarriage. And at the same time, you know, the idea of evil being conceived or being understood as uh, something that one can birth, uh, you have biblical language that actually 
describes, uh, for example, the wicked that are able to conceive evil and that they are sometimes uh, labeled as being pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. So you have that in the scripture, in the Psalm chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, and also in the book of Job, where uh, evil people, the godless, they are able to conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and their womb prepares deceit. So this is essentially kind of metaphorical language. In this case, it's applied to Satan and, and evil, which would have, you know, they, they, they want to birth some kind of evil plans against Christians, against individuals. And what she's actually praying for is that these plans may miscarry that these plans be aborted. You know, it feels like as a metaphor, not to judge uh, the language at all, but it feels like as a metaphor, it really does stand because not only is the the evil, the um, the demonic plan thwarted, but it also causes the, the language of using miscarriage is also meant to imply anguish on the part of the parent. Like it's not just that the evil will be shut down, it's that it will cause deep anguish to the devil. Yes, absolutely. This is this is spiritual warfare language. Eh? Uh, as you know, Paula White on her Twitter feed, she reacted uh, to uh, some of the comments that people had uh, saying that she usually doesn't react to what people say about what she's preaching or teaching. But in this case, she felt like she had to explain what she was saying. And she, she quotes a passage from uh, the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, where the writer of Ephesians, of Ephesians is actually explaining that Christians are at war against spiritual forces forces in the heavenly places, against principalities, against powers of darkness. And of course, in the context of Ephesians chapter 6, there is no mention of satanic pregnancies. This expression is not used. But there is a mention of the fiery darts of the devil, and that Christians can take the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the devil. That means the plans that the devil has against them. So essentially, of course, the, the, the language is very strong. And uh, the language, of course, aims at the person that will conceive evil. And in this case, it's a spiritual entity called Satan. And she actually wishes that Satan's plans uh, might not uh, happen and that just miscarries. So yes, anguish, uh, may anguish come upon Satan himself huh? in, of course, this logic of spiritual warfare. And this does strike me as a very clear example uh, as you look through some of the coverage of this moment as, as an opportunity to observe media bias against this kind of charismatic Pentecostalism, this kind of lingo and this this spiritual warfare. The article that I'm looking at in HuffPost, which of course is a very left-leaning publication, but its, its caption for this particular video clip says, President Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, Paula White, is facing criticism after praying for evil women to have miscarriages. That seems like, a, like an enthusiastic uh, misinterpretation, perhaps purposefully, but also perhaps mistakenly. And code switching, language that you have to be as part of the club 
to truly understand and and appreciate. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's normal for people that are not, like you say, part of the club to react, especially in terms of when you talk about abortion. It's a very polarizing issue now in the U.S., and it has been for quite some time. Uh, So if you're not familiar with this language, uh, you interpret this literally, and you feel that this is polarizing on the part of, uh, you know, Paula White. She's again... uh, Uh, demonizing uh, people that uh, don't agree with her, that don't agree with Trump, uh, that are far from uh, her understanding of what Christianity is, that are a hindrance uh, to Trump and to her brand of Christianity. And she's just wishing that uh, people would uh, that that are un, that are non-Christians, uh, if they have, uh, if they're they're pregnant, if women are pregnant, she's just wishing for for their uh, pregnancy to to miscarry. But the thing is, it's normal to have that reaction because there's been a lot of things in uh, in the in the media, but also with uh, the, a group of people called the Evangelicals for Trump that are really siding on on the uh, you know really. Uh, they are on the side of President Trump, despite everything uh, that uh, is sometimes seem contradictory <laughs> to what Christianity for, for a lot of people represents. Um, and of course, as you know, they voted en masse for, uh, for Trump in, in 2016, and they seem to be on the same trajectory for 2020. So, of course, the, 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 there is a, a kind of bias Uh, which is normal and a reaction, especially if you're not familiar with this kind of language. So this is why it's very important to to be very careful in understanding what these people say. And if we take the case of Paula White, she's actually in her church in a particular context where the people hearing what she's praying about understand that language. So I think that uh, the media, that we as individuals that don't necessarily share this point of view, we need to make an effort to try to understand, okay, what is she actually saying instead of lending, uh, you know, uh, bad intentions, um, which again, like I say, it's understandable up to a certain extent because we don't understand the the language, but we need to be more, more careful because on on one side, of course, a lot of what many of these evangelicals for Trump uh, say and do sometimes is polarizing. And, but we have to be careful that we don't jump and on, on our side of things to contribute to that polarization by maybe misrepresenting what they're saying or misunderstanding and expressing that. Uh, let's try to kind of get a, get a hold of what they're understanding uh, what they're saying, I mean, and 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 really um, capture the essence of their message, understand the context in which this message was given, and then formulate uh, a reaction uh, to what has been stated. So help us understand a little bit what that context is, what the what what the, what the environment is that she is playing this out, and she's in her church. There is a there is a theology that accompanies this this thing that we just sort of on the surface see as rhetoric, but it, it actually is very, very rich in meaning, and it describes the beliefs of a great number of people. Can you, can you talk to us about um, what the theology behind it is? 
Yes, of course. In fact, what she's engaged in this segment, and it's, it's pretty much part of Paula White Kane's life, is this idea of spiritual warfare. Uh, this idea that Christians are at war against not flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, evil spirits in the heavenly places. And this essentially, of course, there's a core text that is found uh, that is actually the foundation of this idea. And this is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 to 18. Now, this entire passage compares the, the Christian's life to that of a soldier. And the soldier is in this war uh, and is in the world, but he is not necessarily part of the world. He's part of the world to come. But since he's living in this world, he has to combat for his faith. He has to struggle to stay on par. He has to make sure that he's engaged in the good fight. Now, of course, this fight translates itself in every aspect of an individual's life. Uh, in the, their personal lives, in, their, in the lives of their families, in, and even on, at the political level. You see, many of these uh, Christians that engage in spiritual warfare see also the political reality as being part of that war uh, against the forces of evil. Uh, so they, they, in a sense, for some of them, sometimes they engage in politicizing and weaponizing the language of spiritual warfare. And this is where it becomes problematic. In some cases, and this is why, in a sense, the media uh, reacted to Paula White Kane's uh, prayer, because when she ends up going to Trump rallies and opening the rally with a prayer and starts engaging in what is called warfare prayer and binding spiritual forces that are uh, acting against the president and, and uh, against Christians— She's, in a sense, when she's engaging in this kind of language, in a sense, what she's doing is she's demonizing the political adversaries of Trump. You see? So it's, it's a bit natural or normal that people would react when they hear something like, spirit, like satanic pregnancies because of that, of, because of the precedent of engaging publicly at a Trump rally in warfare prayer. At the same time, like I said, it's very important for us to, to understand the theology. When we think in terms of spiritual warfare, um, you know, the, the, the spiritual warfare paradigm is essentially a, a, a three-level paradigm. Christians that engage in this kind of activity or have this worldview, they engage in, first of all, what they call ground-level spiritual warfare— which encompasses um, practices and beliefs like uh, casting out demons from people, deliverance ministries, things like that. And this corresponds to what you have in the Gospels, for example, when Jesus uh, engages uh, in exorcisms and, and in, the act of, uh, in the acts of the apostles when, when uh, the apostles cast out demons for, from people. So that's the first level in which 
uh, you know, Christians are engaged uh, in spiritual warfare. There's also another level called the occult level spiritual warfare, which is battling with demonic forces related to things like Satanism, witchcraft, Freemasonry. Uh, they even put in uh, Eastern religion, New Age, shamanism, astrology, and other occult practices. So that's another level of spiritual warfare. But the third level, this is the one that we're interested in, uh, and Paula White often engages in that level, is what is called strategic level spiritual warfare, which is also called cosmic level spiritual warfare, and it involves a struggle against the principalities and powers. Uh, often principalities and powers are seen, uh, there's this expression that is used as territorial spirits, spirits that uh, control entire regions, populations, peoples, uh, where Christians have to battle against these forces in order to liberate people that are under the influences of these territorial spirits so that they can receive the light of the gospel message. So this is essentially their theology. You see, people that, like Paula White Cain, that are constantly hammering warfare prayers, uh, this is their worldview. And we need to understand what they're doing. Is it possible that the spiritual warfare language is also meant to be metaphorical, but it is it is so stirring and it is so evocative yeah. that it is it, it crosses into a literal space? I take very much your meaning that it demonizes uh, opposing viewpoints as being the product okay. of <laughs> you know an opposing army, as it were, but. Is this meant to stay spiritual? Because it does feel like it bleeds over into actual antipathy towards people that don't share this belief. Yes. In fact, the language, when you read it in Ephesians chapter 6, it's very clear that uh, the writer is saying we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hmm. So for, for the writer, it is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual entities in the heavenly places. In, in reality, the spiritual warfare language is spiritual. You see, it is spiritual. But the thing is, it bleeds into everyday life because these entities are seen as influencing people in their everyday lives. You see, people, policies, governments, territories, cities, neighborhoods. And sometimes when there are problems at those levels, for people that engage in spiritual warfare mentality, the, the, the paradigm becomes the explanation why in the physical realm there are so many problems. You see? So for them... In order to change things, there, there are several ways that they need to do this, but they need to engage in spiritual warfare, in spiritual warfare prayer, but they also need to actively engage in society and penetrate what they call the spheres or the, the, the spheres of culture, and sometimes it, it comes about by the name of the, you'll, you'll, you'll see this by the name of the Seven Mountains Mandate, where there are spheres of culture like religion, education, arts and entertainment, the media, business, the family, and they need to penetrate these spheres to 
change the mentalities and the culture of these fears so that they reflect what they believe to be Judeo-Christian values. So it is about a spiritual battle, but it is about a very real concrete involvement in social transformation. It goes hand in hand. So what we see, like evangelicals that are uh, uh, daring to Trump, there's, you know, there's three elements that I see that are, are very, very uh, involved. There's three ideas that, that stem from, from their political involvement. There's this idea of spiritual warfare, like I said. There's this idea of dominionism that we hear often about, this idea that Christians are called by God to uh, rule uh, the world uh, and to influence the spheres of society. Uh, the, one, one example of dominionism is the Seven Mountains Mandate. And of course, there's eschatology, this idea of what will happen in the last, the last days, the end times. So you put all of these three elements together, and these ideas become, you know, ideologies or have the potential of becoming ideologies of political power. You know, something occurs to me, and... In, in the news, we're reading a lot about this conversation in the run-up to the election about this question being posed, how can evangelicals support Donald Trump when he is known to uh, or alleged to have had many affairs? He is, um, you know, th the list of contradictions on personal behavior level between the president and you know, moral values as described by Christianity. They're huge. They're, they're innumerable. But there does seem to be a deep kinship in the, the rhetoric of combativeness, the rhetoric of righteousness, and the willingness to engage in spiritual warfare as well as political warfare. So that they are, does this describe the crossover between Donald Trump and the evangelical world that supports him? It does very well. In fact, you know, there, like you mentioned clearly, there's a lot of contradictions between what people understand as being Christian values and what we know of Donald Trump. Uh, the thing is, you know, people that support him have uh, this idea, and we've heard this in the media often, this idea that for them, they haven't elected um, a bishop-in-chief. Uh, for them, it wasn't to have a bishop-in-chief. It was to have a leader that would give them a voice that would value their religious liberty, at least their definition of what constitutes a religious liberty, and a leader that they see as being a modern-day, and we heard this often, a modern-day King Cyrus, eh, this Persian king in the 6th century uh, before Common Era. Um, Cyrus, uh, you've, you'll find information about Cyrus in, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, in Isaiah chapter 45. Um, the prophet talks about Cyrus as being God's anointed, uh, God's Messiah. And Cyrus was a pagan king, but he was an instrument for the people of Israel to return to their, uh, to their uh, destroyed city and rebuild their city and rebuild their temple after they had been in captivity under the Babylonian uh, regime. 
So uh, Cyrus is the model of liberation. Trump is compared or is called this new Cyrus. Uh, they also talk about, they minimize the issue of minimizing, you know, uh, Trump's flaws also stems from the reading of the Bible. They, you know, there were great kings. You think about King David, for example, who is called a man according to God's heart. But King David committed adultery and killed the husband of the, the, uh, the, the husband of the, of, of the woman with whom he committed adultery. But he's called a man according to God's heart. So, Bathsheba, exactly. So, uh, you see, for them, it's not a contradiction. In, in a sense, God can choose an individual. He can even choose a pagan king and bring about his will. And for them, you know, Donald Trump is God's chosen one. At least he's an elect chosen one because God is using him for their purpose. Uh, he's backing. He, they have a voice. Uh, there's even a coalition. We've seen this in early January, Evangelicals for Trump. And uh, they're ready to go to bat for him because he gives them what they want. He caters to their needs. And, uh, of course, Trump doesn't understand everything that's going on in the evangelical world. He doesn't know about eschatology or spiritual warfare. He, of course, he's not cognizant of that. So, in a sense... Uh, he uses this base for his own purposes, but at the same time, they use him, you see, for their own purposes and, and projects and, and agenda. My colleague Jack Jenkins at Religion News Service was observing to me that there has never been a time in the history of America where this community of adherents had such political influence. This is a moment to cherish and to truly enjoy, get their work done. Is that true? Have you observed at any point such a level of charismatic uh, evangelical influence on such a scale, either here or anywhere else? No, it's the first time that we see... Uh that level of involvement and impact throughout the world. We're seeing even in Brazil now with the election of uh, Bolsonaro, uh, it's becoming, Bra Brazil is becoming the most important uh, country that will provide probably in the next five to 10 years more missionaries across the world than the U.S. will hmm. uh, or has been uh, doing uh, in the past uh, years. So um, it's, it's this, this, this neo-charismatic, neo-Pentecostal movement is really a global movement. And it's on the rise, and it's not going to stop. Um, and this is why they're very enthusiastic. Unfortunately, I don't want to be a, a prophet of doom, but uh, they're, they're, they may be very, <laughs> very much on their way to, to, to manage to get Trump elected again in 2020 uh, because he's, he's, you know, they're fired up. They, mm. they believe in, in their cause. And for them, it's a, it's a do or die cause. You see, when you have uh, people like Stephen Strang, uh, the CEO and, and founder of Charisma magazine, writing two books on why it's important to vote for Donald Trump, and it's, it's all about everything hinges on Trump's victory, 
in 2020 or else they're going to lose everything that they they've gained under his presidency um, that means that you know they're going to do everything that they can to mobilize politically uh, their constituents and and uh, have people elect uh, Trump again uh, you know they're very well organized they have churches they have networks uh, and it's not like this is not a denomination. This goes across denominations. Mm-hmm. And this, why it, this is why they, they are so impactful. I'm moved to wonder if, if there is any possibility of reconciliation between the populations that are on either side of this. Yeah, I think it's, it's we need to, the first step is really understand. Mm. If you want to have, even envision a, a, a possibility of conversation. First of all, I stop saying that these people are crazy. Uh, The thing is, because we're just, if we're doing that, we might think that because this is so strange, Mm. uh, at least for people that have never been part of of any of these types of movements. This is so strange and alien to what they've ever believed. Uh, Some of, you know, there's a lot of progressive Christians that never engage in this kind of rhetoric or even these types of extreme, what what they understand as being extreme beliefs. Mm -hmm. But when you're in that world, it makes a lot of sense. And they manage in that world with their own hermeneutic to piece it all together. You see, to piece it all together. I think that the conversation starts when we start understanding what they're doing. Start understanding their logic, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. And and but it doesn't mean we're going to we're going to change them because you know in a sense uh it's like uh anybody that would be radicalized. You know people that have a view that is seen by someone else as being extreme that person would say okay you're you're radicalized in your view it's very hard for someone outside to change a radicalized person a radicalized person or someone that holds a view that seems to be extreme that person needs to change by their by themselves there needs to happen something in their lives there needs to be created some kind of cognitive opening at one point in their own lives and their own narrative of what all of this means for them, which will create some kind of questioning or doubt that might lead them to reconsider some of the positions, some of the, uh, some of the beliefs, some of the practices in which they're, they're engaged in. Uh, there are people that, that do change. There are people that do abandon this way of thinking and become more moderate and progressive. But again, it, it's through, it takes time. You see, it, it takes time. And, and, and actually, it really takes time even for people to understand what this is. It, 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 it takes more time than reading a, a newspaper article on it. Uh, you, 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 you need to familiarize yourself with this. You need to read. You need to... Uh, you need to watch videos. You you need to, you need to kind of try to say, okay, I'm I'm gonna try to put myself in in that situation to 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 kind of understand w- why this makes sense for them. And if I do that, then eventually that might help me uh, have arguments or counter arguments 
that are not just based on reactionary emotional statements, but that are based on, on rationality, uh, slowly kind of deconstructing some of these ideas that, you know, become very problematic when they are hurtful uh, for others. But it seems like there's a contradiction built into that because not only are there political differences that are driving this bus, but there are there are also accusations of 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 demonic influence on the one hand and also an infantilism and uh, an utter invalidation from the other side and yeah that yeah. seems to be an, a conflict that would be doubly hard to undo that's it that's it so where where uh, where are we standing like who's going to make the first step who's going to take the first step in trying to understand people should listen um, to podcasts i think i think they should listen to podcasts about such a topic like yours <laughs> yeah like your podcast <laughs> definitely Professor Gagney, thank you so much for joining us on Beliefs. I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. Our guest was Concordia University professor Dr. Andre Gagney. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. Production assistance from Jonathan Smith. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening. <laughs>